0: Good evening, church family. Good evening. Um, our scripture reading this evening is in Hebrews. It's Hebrews 12, 28, and 29. Again, it's Hebrews 12, 28, and 29. And the scripture reads, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. daughter thanks for doing that reading thank you pastor josh kendra beautiful song wherever kendra went thank you um, let, let's pray and ask the lord to speak to us our holy god we come in reverence as well as joy we come in awe as well as laughter we come before you because you are holy but also you are approachable And we ask, Lord, that you would make us more like you and forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to empower us to listen well and then to obey. Lord, we do pray for our Cambodia team and pray, Lord, that you continue to prepare hearts for the message of the gospel in Cambodia. Pray, Lord, for our missionaries around the world. Specifically for those who have left this church to serve overseas, we pray for you to minister to their hearts, their minds, and through them. Minister to and through our deployed personnel. Minister to and through our students who are away. And Lord, we pray for those who are ill and pray, Lord, that you'd minister health to them and bless them. May the Holy Spirit now speak and may he use me as a channel for God to be glorified and for us to hear your word. We ask all these things in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Growing up, I had no idea what Mom did all day. I knew that Dad put on his Navy uniform and got in his 1961 VW Bug and drove to the base dental clinic and started filling teeth and extracting teeth for sailors and Marines. My three older sisters... And myself, we went off to school to study hard. But, Mom, I had no idea what she did all day. I never really thought about it. I just knew that when I came home, the house was always clean. I knew that when I came home, there'd always be a fine meal on the table for dinner. I knew that there'd be appointments for me with the doctor, or there'd be horseback riding lessons, or there would be piano lessons and dance lessons, both of which I tried to avoid. but I never thought about what mom did all day. I just knew that any dirty clothes that I left lying around or in the hamper would mysteriously be clean and would be in my drawer. And I knew that if it was my birthday, there'd be presents. And if it was Christmas, there'd be presents. And if I had to go to a birthday party, suddenly my mom handed me a present to give to this child. I knew that mom was always prepared to teach the Good News Club, which was uh, Afternoon Bible study for children, and she was always prepared and always doing that. But what mom did all day, I had no idea. (laughs) I just knew that my life was better because mom was around. Moms and grandmoms are the unsung heroes of our families, and I think of our society. And just like as a kid, I never gave much thought to what mom did all day, and yet I benefited from whatever it was that she did, most of us don't spend much time thinking about what God does all day. And by God, I mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mean, what does God the Father do all day? We're told in Scripture, He neither slumbers nor sleeps, so we know He's got 24 hours a day, but what does He do with those hours? And what about Jesus, the Son of God? We know that He died and rose from the grave and He ascended up to heaven and that He's waiting to come back and set up a kingdom on earth. But what's He doing while He's waiting? And then there's God the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, we know that He's busy baptizing people in the Holy Spirit and filling people with the Holy Spirit and indwelling people with the Holy Spirit and sealing people for the day of redemption and gifting people and anointing people and regenerating people and illuminating the Scriptures and teaching and guiding and convicting But is that all He does all day? (laughs) What does God do all day? And although every Christian knows of Jesus' life and death and resurrection subsequent to His miraculous birth and taking on human body… What did the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, do all day before he was born? Today, as we continue in our series on encountering Jesus, we come to a most unusual encounter with Jesus in the Old Testament. I guess all encounters with Jesus are unusual, but this one is especially unusual because it occurs not only before Jesus is born as a man, but occurs about 1,500 years before Jesus' mother, Mary, is even born. Now, if that surprises you, it's most likely because you have never pondered what Jesus does all day and what Jesus was doing before his incarnation, before he took on human flesh. Colossians 2, 9, a passage we looked at last week, says that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's what theologians call the hypostatic union. You've heard me use that word. It's where Jesus, who has been eternally God, now has also taken on humanity the form of a man, and he's 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And although Jesus' humanity had a beginning, and we celebrate it every year at Christmas, Jesus as God has eternally existed. As God, he had no beginning. In fact, we saw last week that at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there because we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that when we talk about God creating, it was the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who did the creating. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by Him, by Jesus, in the context, by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Talking about Jesus. So indisputably, Jesus existed as God long before His birth as a man, before what theologians call the Incarnation. And although in the New Testament, when we see Jesus, He takes the form of a man, He shows up in the Old Testament. He hasn't taken the form of a man yet. So what does Jesus look like in the Old Testament? Have you ever pondered that? Have you ever wondered what Jesus was doing all day in the Old Testament? How did he appear to people in the Old Testament? For some light bedtime reading, before falling asleep at night, I've decided to follow my mother's footsteps and to read through Dr. Lewis Berry Chafers eight-volume, 3,000-page systematic theology. <laughs> it's unique theology. Dr. Lewis berry Chafer was the founder and the first president of Dallas Theological Seminary, which is well-known for upholding and teaching the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of Scriptures. What does that mean? Well, verbal, plenary means... You believe every single word, not just every thought, is inspired by God. By inspired, you mean God breathed it out into holy men who wrote it. By inerrant, you mean there is no error, not only in theology, but there's no error in history or philosophy or anything that's recorded. And by scriptures, you mean the original writings, the autographs, that they were totally inerrant as God gave them. But there was more that Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer is known for, and Dallas is known for. He was vehemently opposed to the teaching that we should allegorize the prophetic literature in Scripture, that we couldn't take Daniel literally, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah when they prophesied the future, that we couldn't take Revelation literally, that we had to spiritualize it, but we need to take it literally. And so he wrote a whole theology saying that Israel... Really does have a future. That God is going to keep his promises to Israel. That there literally is going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And that Ezekiel 37, which talks about the regathering of Israel, a nation that was scattered in 70 AD by the Romans, that that nation would be regathered. Interesting enough, his theology was finished in 1947, where he said, I believe that Israel has a future. In 1948, a miracle happened. Israel was regathered from all the points of the earth and formed a new nation in Israel. Ezekiel was fulfilled. Because we can take the prophecies literal. They will be fulfilled. And so Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer, writing that theology and starting the seminary, has disseminated these truths to us and became one of if not the, most influential evangelical theologian of the 20th century. And I say all this so that you will know this is a very credible theologian who tells us what Jesus did all day before he was born. Now, you would benefit from reading all 3,000 pages of his theology, but let me just read one sentence to you. One sentence for Dr. Lewis Perry Chafers' theology. He writes, the unanimity of belief on the part of all devout scholars that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity is most significant. And you go, huh? If that's one sentence, I don't think I'm going to make it to 3,000 pages. (laughs) What he says there is all devout scholars agree that Jesus in the Old Testament... And when he shows up in the Old Testament, he's called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Now, please follow along with me in your Bibles, if you brought them, or your smartphones, if you have them on airport mode. (laughs) Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And as I read... Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Keep in mind that all devout scholars believe that the angel of the Lord in this context is Jesus. Now, Moses, verse 1, was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, you'll notice in most translations, Lord is all caps, that means it's the personal Jewish name of God, Yahweh, as we pronounce it, or Jehovah, the angel of Yahweh appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight where the bush is not burned up. When the Lord, that's a personal name of God again, all caps, Yahweh, saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And then he, God, said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The text indisputably shows that the angel of the Lord is God. That's quite clear. Moses believes the angel of the Lord is God. Moses is the one who actually wrote the account. He was there, but he's the one that wrote it for us, wanting us to know that the angel of the Lord is God. And the text tells us this is the very God that appeared to the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and personally promised to them that the descendants, their descendants, would form a great nation, and they would get a great land, and they would have a Messiah who would reign forever. And the angel of the Lord is clearly God, and all devout scholars... Believe more specifically, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus Christ meeting with Moses. And with that understanding, that sheds some light. I don't know if you remember Hebrews 11, 25 and 26, but it's talking about Moses. And in the New Testament, it says that Moses considered the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the riches of Egypt, tying Jesus with Moses. Now, of course, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternal. But the explanation of the Trinity is not so clear in the Old Testament. It's much clearer for us in the New Testament. A lot of things are clearer in the New Testament. So when Moses encounters God, he just recognizes him as God. He doesn't distinguish if this is the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6, it says, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Like many stories in the Bible, if you've grown up with them as a child like I have, things like talking snakes, talking donkeys, talking bushes are kind of ordinary. (laughs) Well, of course, these things talk. But Moses has never talked to a bush. Well, maybe he talked to a bush, but the bush has never answered him before. <laughs> this is not a normal experience for Moses. He's never encountered a talking, fiery bush that claims to be God. And this talking, fiery bush tells him this is a holy moment. And says in verse 5, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. I want you to think about two things and remember them from this encounter. And the first one is this. If you have your outlines, you might want to take it out, make it easier to remember. But the first thing we see here is that encountering Jesus should be a holy moment, should be a holy moment. We tend to lost that in evangelical Christianity. We've lost the, the rituals that can create a sense of reverence and awe. They can also be empty rituals. They can just be habit. But you and I have direct access to Jesus through prayer and the Word. We don't have to find a burning bush in the wilderness to encounter Jesus. And because it's so easy for us to encounter Jesus... There's a tendency for us to lose the holiness of the moment. You, like me, I'm sure, have found yourself out of habit praying for your food. And you're thinking about the day or the food. You're not thinking about your God. Bless this food, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You, like me, probably have a tendency to go to Jesus with a grocery list, like you're shopping at the grocery store. Lord, here's my list. Pray for death and pray for so-and-so and pray for healing, pray for money, pray for this, pray for car, pray for that, da-da-da, da-da-da, amen? It's not a holy moment. We've lost the awe. And I wonder if maybe we'd be better served if we just went to prayer and said something like this. Oh, God. And that's it making it a more holy, more reverent encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a holy moment, and encountering Jesus should be a holy moment. Maybe there are times where you should actually kneel when you pray, unless kneeling has become just an empty habit. Maybe you should think about taking off your shoes in front of the Lord, unless your shoes are already off. Maybe you should bow your head. Maybe at times you should actually lay prostrate before the Lord, the word worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament has this idea of laying prostrate. It means, I'm giving you my all. I'm helpless before you. The place on which you stand is holy ground, Jesus tells Moses. Some, year, a, some years ago, a mature saint in the church came up to me and with a somewhat accusatory tone said, hey, what do you think of these youth coming up on the platform barefoot reading scripture or maybe uh, they were playing an instrument? And I looked at her and I said, when I see that, it makes me think that maybe I should take my shoes off. Holy ground. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place in which you are standing, Moses, is holy ground. But what makes ground holy isn't where it is. What makes ground holy is who is there. Israel is often called the holy land, and that can be misleading. Israel isn't any more holy than Las Vegas. What makes a place holy is the presence of a holy God. And if you see in your bedroom, it's a holy place. If he's in your car, it's a holy place. If he's not in this church, it's not a holy place. It's a presence of the Lord that makes a place holy. And encountering Jesus should be a holy moment. So why is this bush on fire? It's not being consumed, but it's on fire. Well, if you trace fire throughout the Scriptures, you'll see that it consistently represents something. Unless you know what it represents, you're going to miss what God's trying to teach you. Read through the Scriptures, and where you find fire, you will normally find the holiness of God. Romans 1.20, if you turn there, because I want you to know this passage well, it teaches us something very significant. Romans twenty one twenty tells us that when God created the physical world, He created things in the physical world to teach us spiritual truths. And so we should always be looking for spiritual truths in the physical world. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, that's the beginning, since God made it, God's indiv- invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. It says here that God teaches spiritual truth through his physical creation. Little side point here there's no room in this verse for the creating of the earth and a million years later, the creating of man. Because he says, since the beginning of creation, man saw. God's invisible attributes and understood them. What is fire? Well, fire is one of those created physical things that demonstrates a spiritual truth and it demonstrates the holiness of God. And in the passage that was read earlier in Hebrews 12, 29, it tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And you might read that and go, well, that sounds kind of destructive, almost evil, almost bad. No. It's saying that God is holy, and evil and corruption cannot exist in the presence of holiness. And in Exodus 33, God will say to Moses, when when Moses wants to see God's face, God says, you cannot see me and live, because in your unholy state, God's holiness would consume you. But when we get to heaven, we can see God face to face. That's because we will have been made holy. You see, what's one thing that's safe in the presence of fire? Fire. Other fire is not harmed by fire. And when we are made holy through Jesus Christ, we can be in the presence of a holy God. Fire. It can be experienced, but it can't be held. It can comfort us and warm us. But if we get too close, it will harm us. Jesus makes us holy. So someday we can be in His presence unharmed. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. It was a holy moment. But what's amazing about this holy moment is the same holy God is also approachable. Approachable. The second thing I want you to learn from this encounter in Exodus 3 is that encountering Jesus should also be a personal moment. A personal moment, an intimate moment. Because in verse 4, Jesus calls out from the bush and calls Moses by name. Moses! Moses! Moses it was a personal moment between Jesus and one man you see Jesus didn't approach a mass gathering of Jewish men and women and say hey I'm looking for a volunteer I need someone who's not afraid to die someone who's a good leader who's really eloquent and you're gonna to go to the ruler of the known world who has two million slaves that keeps his economy going, and say, you're going to release these people for God. Who wants to do it? (laughs) God, Jesus, approaches one man, Moses, and says, it is you. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, God says, let my people John 3.16, you learned it as a child perhaps. God so loved the world. But He didn't just love the world in general. He doesn't just love humanity. He loves you as an individual. In my Bible, I crossed out world and put Perry there. I'm not trying to change the Bible. I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that he loves me. God so loved Perry. He Put your name there. He so loves you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. It is personal. He didn't just die for sin in general. He died for the very sins that you have and you will commit because it's personal. One time I told a close friend who'd been away and come back, I told her, I said, hey, we missed you. She got kind of somber and looked at me and said, yes, but did you miss me? Did you miss me? We miss you isn't very personal. You miss me is very personal. And this is a personal encounter, and as the holy moment unfolds, Moses starts feeling so comfortable talking to a fiery bush that's not consumed that calls itself God that he starts to whine. Whine? Wine, wine, wine. I count them four times. Oh my, that I should go to Pharaoh. That's number one. What if they don't believe me? That's number two. Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. That's number three. Number four. Please, Lord, send someone else. I guess you can whine three times, but when you hit four, God gets mad. Because it says God got angry. And Moses gets his brother thrown under the bus. (laughs) And now Aaron has to go with him. (laughs) You see, the problem was Moses had suddenly gotten his eyes off of God and put his eyes on himself. He hadn't yet learned that whatever God asks you to do and calls you to do, He will give you both the desire and the power to accomplish the calling. Philippians 2.13 tells you that. He'll give you the will and the work, the desire, the energy to do what pleases God. But Moses hadn't learned that yet, but eventually he'll become a great leader. Eventually he'll learn to trust God for guidance and help and strength to follow God's plan. What about you? God is calling you by name. And someday, when you stand before Him, and every one of us will, He's going to ask you, what did you do all day? And He'll reward you accordingly. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads so you can have a private moment with our Lord. Someday Jesus may ask something like this, why should I let you into my kingdom? And there's only one right answer, and unless you're able to give it sincerely, he won't let you in. And the answer is not that I've been good, or I've been nice or kind, or I gave money to charity. The answer is I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin. That's the ticket to enter heaven. It's the only way. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I beg you, I urge you in this moment to cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. If you believe he died for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave and conquered death, it's not enough just to know it in your head. You must accept him into your life and your heart. Lord, save me. Lord, we ask you to guide us through our days. So when you ask us what we did all day, we can say, we loved you, and we loved others. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon.